Welcome to Talking Biotech, the podcast dedicated to exploring the latest advancements in biotechnology, sponsored by Calabra, the R&D software that accelerates scientific discovery with AI. Each week, we'll dive into the latest innovations and discoveries with industry leaders and pioneers. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin Fulta. Welcome to the Talking Biotech Podcast. It's the weekly podcast about agriculture and medicine and conservation with an emphasis on biotechnology and the good things we can do for people and the planet. My name's Kevin Fulta. I'm a professor. I'm a podcast host. I help a wife on the farm. And I'm really interested in science communication and very grateful to have a front seat at the edge of discovery. And I just want to share the newest news with you. Now, one of the big questions is, who do we trust for scientific information? And on the internet, that can be really hard to determine. But who do we trust? And one of the places I've turned to trust for a long time has been the Genetic Literacy Project. It's really a, a storehouse of different stories of science. And I don't want to uh, let, uh, let their uh, director explain that to you. But I wanted to clear up some information today. If you read on social media, the work by really the folks opposed to biotechnology or maybe technology in general, vaccines, whatever, you'll see that they're frequently very bitter towards the GLP. And I wanted to uh, talk to John Entine, and John is their director and has been running the GLP for a while now, and talk about what it is, what it isn't, and then examine the idea that he has proposed in this uh, article this week, or at least a team from GLP has proposed in an article this week, about disinformation feedback loops, so that you're aware of them, you can spot them, and you can use them to help you identify who you should trust. So today we're talking with uh, John Entine. John, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Kevin. Really thrilled to be here. Yeah, I'm thrilled you're here too. It's always nice to talk to you. And I, I feel I walk away a little smarter every time. I, I, can you first tell me about or remind the audience about your background and a brief summary of some of your work? Sure, Kevin. I'm a longtime journalist. I started in um, television news, actually, in the hard to date myself so, so far back and in 1969, and after college, joined ABC Network and then NBC Network as a um, as a producer, and ultimately as head of documentaries at NBC. But produced Primetime Live uh, 2020 was Tom Brokaw's longtime producer, and really flourished in that. I, I, I carved out a niche of, of being a a bit of a contrarian, um, very progressive overall, but but really recognizing that um, anti science or, or, or frankly an, an, anti um, information. Uh, and biases can come from from either side. Uh, and ultimately, I um, Tom Brokaw and I did a, a documentary on blacks and sports, um, the very controversial subject of why black athletes dominate sports and why we're afraid to talk about it, which was the title of a book that I um, did based on the documentary when I segued from television news producing into writing. And so really, since the early 90s, when I went into writing, I've been writing about a few main subjects. One, sustainability. I coined the modern usage of the term greenwashing. It had been around for a few years before, but I really gave it its current gloss and how it's used of, of organizations, sometimes um, activist organizations who, who watch themselves in myths of, um, of sustainable sustainability and greenness. Uh, and then also wrote about genetics, population genetics, black-white differences, 
wrote a one a seminal book on um, the genetics of Jewish, Christian, and Muslim ancestry, and then gradually started being fascinated more and more by genetics and biotechnology, which led me into agricultural issues. And wow, that was the that was the eye, eye popping um, area. I thought that I was under attack for dare suggesting that there were genetic differences between, let's say, um, Kenyan athletes and American um, uh, athletes. But boy, wading into the um, the hot button territory of anti GMO activism. Um, so it, late uh, in the, the 2000s, early in uh, 2010, 2011, I uh, got some backing from two foundations and launched the Genetic Literacy Project to examine both agricultural biotechnology, but also human applications of, of genetics. Um, uh, everything now from gene edited crops to vaccine development. Okay. And so if people wanted to find the website online, where would they look to find it? A geneticliteracyproject.org. We're a, a 5013C uh, funded by foundations and independent donors. Um, and we're a new site, but we're also an advocacy site for truth. So we go after the bad guys. We go after people who are willing to flip the truth, either for corporate uh, benefits um, or for uh, because they actually, actually believe the um, ideologies that they're espousing. Okay, and so uh, you mentioned that you know it's funded by a couple of foundations and private funding. Uh, could you tell me a little bit more about that? Just like you know, give me some examples of maybe one of the foundations that would fund the fund the GLP. Actually, we've been funded. I'd say more than a dozen foundations have given us money over the years. Um, everything from the Lounsbury Foundation, the head of that is uh, affiliated with um, I think it's Albert Einstein now Rockefeller Center in New York. Uh, our seed funding came from two foundations, the John Templeton Foundation. If you're not familiar with them, they have a really interesting intersection that they look at between uh, religion and science. I actually, my background in college was philosophy and religion, um, and they're very not, they're not uh, Christian focused or Islamic focused or Jewish focused. They're just interested in that kind of dimension, but they, they fund things like Jennifer Doudna's um, outreach work. She won the Nobel Prize for her work in CRISPR gene editing, and also the Searle Foundation. Um, you know, like the Ford Foundation, which funds thousands of, um, of uh, you know, uh, various um, uh, ventures and, and um, outreach organizations. The Searle Foundation is not linked to the drug industry, long time separated from that, and, and was one of the seed funders as well. Okay, so is, is maybe that explains part of what we frequently read online. Like if you go to sourcewatch.org, and read about Genetic Literacy Project. It says that it is a corporate front group formerly funded by Monsanto. And so that's, uh, is that because of that Cyril, you know, connection or is that, where does that come from? Well, no, Cyril has nothing to do, no link to Monsanto at all. I don't really understand their claims about, um, about a Monsanto uh, funding operation. Uh, there is, you know, you look at our records, we file uh, so-called 990s. They're required by 5013Cs. There's no Monsanto donation. It would we, we could be shut down overnight if we lied about that. Um, what, they're basing it on a a claim um, by a a, um, a far I wouldn't even call it far left because it's really out of the orbit uh, organization <laughs> called U.S. Right to Know, um, and U.S. Right to Know is funded by the organic industry by the Organic Consumers Association, which is anti-vax pro-homeopathy. Um, and when I say anti-vax, I mean anti-COVID-vax, not just anti-regular vaccination. 
Um, and that's, that, that was their seminal funder and has given them about 80% of their funding. And, and they posted once a, an article or one of their hitman writers posted an article claiming that they had been in contact with Monsanto who wrote back to them that, that they, Monsanto was no longer funding the GLP. And, you know, I've asked numerous times uh, to provide this um, uh, smoking gun uh, email or letter from Monsanto. They never do. Uh, and in fact, they had done a hit piece on STAT um, about the GLP and STAT made them remove that reference um, because there's no evidence for we're not seed funded by the, by Monsanto. Um, you know, you can look at our 990s and our transparency is, is, um, is, is very, very clear. And it's just ironic that organizations that are totally front groups like USRTK funded 80% or probably even more by the organic industry is accusing the GLP of being a front group. And we have like zero corporate money uh, over our history, close to zero. Okay. What about, um, they always point to ESG media metrics. And mm-hmm. so what, it, what does ESG stand for and why is that relevant? Uh, you know, I, I, one of the things when, when I first started writing in the, in the early nineties, I, I cut my eye teeth uh, writing about um, corporate social responsibility. I in fact became later became a, uh, a columnist and U.S. editor for a, a magazine called Ethical Corporation um, for 16 years, and as I'm well known in the corporate ethics community as one of the seminal people. And I don't think you could pick up a business ethics textbook, and I'm serious, that doesn't have my work featured in it because I did a takedown of a company called the Body Shop Cosmetic Company, which for years in the late 1980s, early 90s, was considered an, an iconic, socially responsible company. When actually it was uh, like much of these super uh, self-touting organizations, a, a narcissistic venture that did some things well and some things poorly. The thing that it did most well was tout its um, its corporate social responsibility bona fide, but it didn't deliver the goods. And I did a very famous expose that won me a National Press Club award um, that took down the company. It was called Shattered Image. Um, and the company dropped, dropped $500 million and it went from 22 straight years of profitability to nine losing years out of 10. And they ultimately were sold off when I literally crushed them. Um, And that became an iconic um, example of the separation between rhetoric and actual real responsibility between action and and, and claims. Um, And that's really been my my driving, um, I I think, ethic is I I want to distinguish between what people say that they do, what corporations say that they do, what activist groups say that they do and, and, and what they do. So ESG Media Metrics um, was a firm, uh, firm. it was a one-person, one-shop firm, me. Um, ESG stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance. And I work with corporations um, writing sustainability reports. So I, I, was the, I wrote the first sustainability report for NYSource, which is a Fortune 500 utility company based in um, northern Indiana. And it was, a break, you know, it was a breakthrough. It was back in 2009 when no one was doing these things. And that's the... Um, the, the nefarious uh, ESG media metrics that um, uh, some critical groups say, aha, here he was, you know, a corporate front trying to greenwash companies of, um, of their, um, you know, underhanded sustainability killing activities when it was actually 100, 180 degrees the opposite of what they claim it was. Yeah, that's really interesting. When you start thinking about what they say this means, versus what it actually means. Because I read this stuff all the time. It comes up over and over and over again 
in articles written by three or four people. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. So why do you think that the GLP has been a consistent target? Like, why is it that the GLP and maybe John Entine are the folks people love to hate? Hmm. Um, well, I think you share some of the uh, reality of, of being a target. And I, <laughs> I think it's for the same reasons. Like, we're, we're truth tellers. We let the chips fall where they may. Um, I'm not saying I don't make mistakes in some of my reporting. I'm a, I'm a human being. But I know that our motivations are to um, criticize um, organizations, whether it's uh, Monsanto. And boy, we've, we've probably written 25 articles on taking Monsanto down for various aspects of its um, um, uh, handling of uh, some of its herbicides, um, but also for other practices as well. It wouldn't take, wouldn't be hard if you wanted to frame us as being a um, kind of a, an anti-Monsanto front. You can select at least two dozen articles and make it out that boy, we're unfair to that company. Um, but these, you know, I'm, I think I'm I'm good at what I do. I think the GLP and and my staff really has taken to heart. Our, um, our sub, sub moniker, um, science, not ideology. And one day we're criticizing Monsanto and the next day we're criticizing, um, you know, off the wall left wing activists, um, who, who are, are clearly so soaked in their own ideology that they don't even recognize how corrupt they've become. Um, so I, I, I take it as a badge of honor that we are a target. And meanwhile, we've gone from, 26 views the very first day we premiered, and I, I accounted for 24 of those, I must confess, um, to <laughs> 40,000 visitors a day. So we're doing something right. Um, and we have an incredible board from the former president of, uh, of the American Association to the Advancement of Science to the head of pediatric medicine at um, Mass General and Harvard Medical School. Um, so you know, we're, 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 uh, we're, we're making it uncomfortable for, for cheats, liars, and deceivers. And this is why, you know, I really wanted to talk about this because in the question of trust, it's important for people to really understand what, what the heck the different communication sources are online. And just, you know, so for what it's worth, I participate in a podcast that is featured on the GLP, um, Science Facts and Fallacies, which comes out every week. And um, how much am I paid for doing that? <laughs> um, the shill bucks must be, I mean, exploding out of your garage. Um, uh, actually, you, I, you probably end up spending money um, in preparation and other things for, for the uh, for, for working with us, obviously the answer is zero dollars. Um, not that I'm proud of that because you deserve to get paid for it, but um, no, you are not shilling for the GLP. That's for yeah, sure. Yeah, that that's kind of where I was going. I'm I'm not receiving any compensation for this. That I appreciate what you do, and I appreciate the outlet as a source of media. So I appreciate very much when you rerun my stories or rerun things I write, or when you coach me up on things to write um, the podcast. That stuff is really important because you have the forty thousand people a day. So so for me, it's important to communicate the science. You're a conduit that's always been assisting that. And just so our relationship is completely clear. Um, so th that's that's really good. So what, let's just stop this first section by talking about who are some of the biggest critics? So, so who is SourceWatch, and and what are they talking saying when you know their page on GLP and on you and me for that matter is awful. 
there, there's not, there's very little there that's true. So why are they littering the internet with this kind of stuff that is, you know, looks very official and very, you know, Wikipedia like yet is completely incorrect. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating. Um, uh, the reason uh, in, in our article, which is really um, an expose, let's, let's, let's call it what it was of the disinformation loop um, that's been established. And it, it gave some, I think, background to how misinformation and attacks um, by anti-science groups, and I would definitely put SourceWatch in that category, how it works and, and why, they, why some of their misinformation gets traction. Um, and so SourceWatch sounds very official. Um, you can, um, you know, uh, whatever. It's, it's, a, it's a classic thing to choose your name. That's a disinformation name because people don't know who you are. Uh, but SourceWatch is, is, a, is a creation of Center for Media and Democracy, which is a, a, itself a major promoter of false allegations um, about the GLP. And CMD is a, promotes itself as a, an independent Wikipedia source, but it's, that's not the way it's viewed in the journalism world. I, I, in, in my article, I uh, cited, for instance, an, uh, an organization called Media Bias Fact Check, which is used by the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, Scientific American. And I looked at how they rated the GLP versus how they were rated. And if, if, you, if you go to SourceWatch, the GLP gets its pro-science rating. The sources consist of legitimate science. It's evidence-based, follows the scientific method, is unbiased, does not use emotional words. That's what they call the GLP. Now, what do they call um, Center for Media and Democracy? They rated on um, the far, far, far left of extreme, extremism. Media sources are strongly biased. Um, the media, their, their political affiliation infuses their, um, their coverage. They use loaded words attempting to influence an audience by appealing to emotion or stereotypes. They publish misleading reports. They admit reporting of information that damages their view of the world. And some of their sources are untrustworthy. Wow. And, and somehow you go into articles that have appeared in some mainstream newspapers or magazines like Le Mans, which is a well-known leftist um, newspaper in France, and it quotes SourceWatch as if it's quoting the Bible. Um, and I don't get it. Somehow the GLP, which gets the highest ratings you can get in credibility, um, is, is considered the bad guy. But if you're, in, you know, if you have that bias to come in with, if you're a journalist and you already have a predisposed view of the facts, you don't really search them out. You look for a, a, a source like SourceWatch that reaffirm, re, uh, reaffirms your prejudice. Yeah, or you go to SourceWatch and write a an opinion that you can later cite to reaffirm it. <laughs> in, in this investigation that we did, the person who wrote the SourceWatch um, uh, criticism of the GLP is is a member of USRTK, uh, which is the US Right to Know, which is the organic industry funded front group that um, goes after the GLP, goes after Kevin Falta, goes after Bill Gates, um, goes after um, um, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. I mean, we're a good company, guys. Uh, and, and yet, uh, somehow, they get credit that, they, they, you know, they, they're perceived as somewhat credible by some organizations. But boy, is that you see the disinformation feedback loop beginning to form here when the, the person who writes the, um, the so-called unbiased source watch evaluation of you is actually a member of a, of a, of a, of a self-admitted corporate front. They're, they, they're 80% funded by, the, by uh, a um, homeopathy supporting 
crazy, a crazy left group. I don't know, crazy left, crazy right. They're the same um, group. And, and, and yet, you know, some people are willing to believe that trash. Yeah. And let's, and let's talk about left for a second. And just so this doesn't turn into a, uh, you know, a, a left bashing political thing, because people have to understand, I, I lean left pretty hard. I'm a professor. I, I know a bunch of stuff <laughs> and, and I, you know, sure. I, I can understand where, where policies of the right come from at times, because I know business owners and other uh, positions, you know, I shoot holes and things out on the farm, but in general, I think the far left makes my left more liberal leanings certainly less effective because the craziness that comes from the far folks really uh, works against the good ideas that progressive movements have. I, I, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, my, I think our backgrounds and our, our belief systems overlap very strongly. I mean, to give you an idea, I dropped out of college to freaking work for George McGovern. <laughs> and then I, uh, you know, I ran three of Obama's campaigns in my county, and I ran Hillary's campaign. So I'm clearly not a, a Trumpian um, uh, ideologue. Um, but these issues shouldn't be left and right. They should be science-driven. You know, uh, people talk about is something, is, is, is that science? Science is a methodology. It's not a set of facts. It's a matter of an inquiry. What, are the, what, are, what does the evidence say? And you've got to have the courage and integrity to shift on the dime when you find that the facts aren't going your way or the way that you anticipated it would. So that's really, I think, what, what unites me and you, Kevin, is that is that we're, we are willing to take uncomfortable positions, including, you know, whatever, Monsanto screws up on dicamba, um, regardless of what, you know, the, the, the fact that it might be stepping onto the toes of, um, of, uh, of, of the biotech industry. The fact is the biotech industry is, is like any industry. It's made up of thousands of colors and many textures. And you want to you wanna root out the bad actors and also root out the bad information and, and really focus on what works in the real world. Uh, very well said. Yeah. So after the break, we'll come back and talk about the flip side of this. So we know who the GLP is and we, and John has addressed the ideas of, is it a front group sponsored by industry? But then on the other side, we'll take a look at the real front groups, who they are and who sponsors them. This is the Talking Biotech Podcast. We'll be back in just a moment. Happy birthday to the Talking Biotech Podcast. This podcast was spawned in 2015, right after Fulta appeared on the Joe Rogan Experience. Rogan suggested that Fulta would be a decent podcast host and viola. Here we are six years later, 290-some episodes and approaching 1.5 million downloads. Which is what Joe Rogan gets in a single day, but hey, this is a niche audience. You see, monkeying with the threads of life to accomplish new feats in human health and food security is just the tip of the iceberg. Today's topics could not even be predicted back in 2015. The best days of biotechnology are in front of us. And the Talking Biotech Podcast will keep you at the cutting edge of innovation. Now back before episode 200, Folta contemplated putting a lid on the theories. There was pressure from his employer to stop. And a weekly podcast is a significant commitment. So between internal and external forces, the podcast seemed to be coming to an end. We decided to continue to move on towards the future. 
with no end in sight. The science keeps getting better. Going forward, we'll continue this critical conversation between experts and listeners, people like you that are willing to learn more and share the beautiful stories of scientific innovation with others. We thank you for your loyalty and continued support. Now forward into year seven. Now we're back on the Talking Biotech podcast. I'm speaking with the executive director and the founder of the Genetic Literacy Project, a website at geneticliteracyproject.org, which provides daily information about agriculture and human biology and a slate of current issues that have been aggregated from the current news. I'm speaking with John Entine. He's, uh, well, their executive director and founder. And we're speaking about an article that was written this week by the GLP staff uh, about the allegations of them being simply a front group for big ag and addressing those, but then also delving into who those critics really are and shining a light on them to demonstrate that maybe the folks who are pointing the finger need to be pointing it back the other direction. So um, before we go into this a little further, John, who was it who assisted you with the article and the investigative reporting in that expose? Uh a number of people, but I think the two primary people, one was me, of, of course, and also Cameron English, who was our longtime managing editor and happens to be your podcast partner. Um, so uh, he is, uh, he, like I, have done a lot of investigation, particularly, and when we'll talk about this, finding a fascinating connection between the anti-vaccination movement, the anti-GMO movement, the anti-pesticide movement, and the Church of Scientology. <laughs> okay, so let's dig into that. So let's start out with Baum Headland. This is a law firm most people have not been familiar with, but who are they and have they been critical of the GLP? Well, Baum Headland is a law firm, Los Angeles-based um, ambulance chasing firm. And I, and I don't use that term glibly. I really, it sounds glib, but it's not. They, they are there to generate money for the Church of Scientology, although they, um, um, uh, they their formal ties are hard to pinpoint, but every single one of the uh, lead people, and I wouldn't be surprised if every single lawyer in, in the operation is a Church of Scientology member, um, but it's a notorious company because the, the founders of it were involved in a very, very um, well-known litigation um, back in the 1980s and 1990s um, involving um, uh, a Ponzi scheme, involving something called Operation Snow White, which is the Scientology's a name for an internal conspiracy that it conducted during the 1970s in a failed attempt to purge uh, unfavorable U.S. government records about the church because the uh, there were some tax issues involving the Church of Scientology. And the, the company was actually convicted of that. And the founder of um, Baum Hedlund um, was actually um, named as a co-conspirator in that case, unconvicted co-conspirator, but he was found guilty of, um, members were found guilty of conspiracy, conspiracy to obstruct ju justice and so forth. And that's been their M MO. They are, they are really the, the, the hitman, the lawyer founded hitman for the church of Scientology. And they go after people who criticize them for ambulance chasing, um, in terms of, um, uh, antidepressant drugs. That's that's yielded them hundreds of millions of dollars, claiming that uh, um, companies were, were suppressing information about potential side effects of um, 
of, uh, of, of these, those kinds of drugs. And like in the case um, in glyphosate, which they are the lead, have been the lead uh, promoters of that case, um, they ultimately get the companies in a position where these are potentially easily um, unpopular causes that they are going after. And um, companies just decide to settle, sometimes hundreds of millions, sometimes billions of dollars, just because the litigation drain on a company over years is, is debilitating. But that's, that's the money bags behind that. They, are, they funded um, uh, the initial cases against um, on the, in the glyphosate sphere, and they've worked hand, hand in glove on almost a, a, a daily basis with U.S. Right to Know. And they're one of their lead consulting attorneys is no other than the anti-vaccination, um, I mean, embarrassment, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who is about as anti symbol of anti science, sadly, um, that we have today? So they're they're the real money people I think, um, funding the anti GMO movement, and they have on their website you can find an article calling me a troll. Um, so obviously I haven't um, escaped their um, searing attacks. And we were I think if there's one thing when this when when this article came out that I was a little worried about is that they might try to go after us um, because they have a history of trying to destroy, and that is not a word used lightly, destroy people who criticize them, including, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of, of, of members who've managed to escape the cult um, that, that has dominated their lives for many years. Yeah, and this is a good time to say that uh, the podcast is not the opinion of the University of Florida, its faculty, staff, or students, <laughs> because this is the kind of stuff that'll get a nasty gram written to my president, who is frankly sick of it all, and you know, and, and tells me the podcast can't be part of what I do for work. So, you know, so it's not. This is independent work that's being done off work time, um, and has nothing to do with the university. So s save it, uh, Baum Hedlund. Um, Brent Weisner was one of the lead attorneys in the glyphosate case here in the States. And he was on YouTube bragging about how easy it was to manipulate juries and all this stuff uh, in this case. And, um, you know, what is his connection to this? Well, it, it, it's, again, it's a, a group of attorneys. Michael Baum um, is one of the partners of it. Um, Brent Weisner um, is uh, one of the founders of it, and they've been active members of the church for years. And um, Weisner, I think since 1992, and his father was a longtime church member. He calls himself, these are creepy people. I mean, he calls himself an environmental health activist. Um, and I, you, I, I'm mocking of that because what they're doing is actually undermining health. And so there's a, there's a really serious irony to it, but they, they're, they're part of the crowd, I think, that, um, that, that selectively rejects chemicals um, when they don't want them. Of course, they drink wine, which is a cancer-causing chemical, which I happen to love as well. Um, but they, as I say, it's, it's a selective choice of what chemicals they want to reject. Ones that they can make money at after in their ambulance chasing um, uh, attacks, that, that's, that's what they, that is, is their sucre, so to speak. Well, tell me more about their tentacles as they relate to U.S. Right to Know, who has been really the rabid attack dog group going after scientists and journalists over the last seven years or so. Well, you know, the, the, the origins of the, of the I'd say, the present uh, uh, guerrilla-like anti-GMO group was that was the, uh, the um, uh, scientific paper 
by um, uh, an organization called IARC, which is a sub-agency of the UN, which says that uh, under certain circumstances, glyphosate could cause um, cancer, but it was what's called a hazard study, not a risk study. So it didn't talk about how much exposure you might to have m- might have to have to get that cancer. Um, and in fact, uh, 17 other uh, independent risk-based agencies, uh, actually 18 now that the European Union has come out with yet another glyphosate study, contradicted that and basically said um, that uh, what IARC said was just not grounded in the science. Not saying that there couldn't be some issues, there's issues with any chemical that that might be misused. So I'm not trying to pretend that it's not a uh, toxic chemical. It's just not very toxic, actually. It's quite low on the toxicity scale, much lower than, let's say, organic alternatives that are used to control some of the um, pests that uh, are generated in, in agriculture. So Baum Hedlin, um ears um, you know, were tuned, eyes lit up when IARC um, uh, issued its uh, ruling and immediately saw it as a target and a potential money bonanza because they realized that they could scare people about chemis- chem- chemicals. Um, chemophobia is a real problem. Uh, it doesn't take much in this um, uh, hypersensitive age where uh, any trace chemicals in anything can um, be, a, be a subject for litigation, and that is their raison d'etre. And they jumped into it and um, f- uh, filed some of the first cases, 2016, 2017, 2018, and were the lead counsels, and they partnered with USRTK. USRTK would post Baumhedlin's um, uh, discovery documents and Baumhedlin would post USRTK's um, uh, documents that they got through the Freedom of Information Act trying to harass people like Kevin and me. They, For me, they got like two pages. They thought they'd get this vol- voluminous um, um, supply of, of information about my nefarious uh, contacts with uh, Monsanto and the underground um, Shill, shill, shill trucks, shill buck trucks that pulled up into my backyard to dump those mountains of money. But lo and behold, after I think they, they have close to 100 million pages of documents, have not found one document that says I got money from any corporation. That hasn't stopped them, of course. So that really it was a team made in heaven. It was an organization that was fanatical, funded by the organic industry, going after people like Kevin, you and me, and um, going after organizations like the GLP that are really trying to be fair brokers of the information. And, and they're doing it. Um, I'm not saying they don't believe in, in, in their craziness. A lot of crazy people believe in, 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 their, own, um, in, in their own perverse views. But the, the payoff to them, we're talking, I think Baum Headley could probably get, expect to get $800 million out of the, um, out of the glyphosate settlements that have uh, come over the transom in the last couple of years. And then the glue in this equation is Carrie Gillum who sells herself as a, as a independent journalist yet is on the payroll of USRTK. So she really is, and she's always had a, a history of being very anti genetic engineering, anti-corporation, whatever. And uh, in her time working for Reuters, people uh, used to really see this isn't objective journalism. This is, and yet they would always attribute her negative columns, not to her, but to Reuters, you know, the authority. So how does she work in this particular loop between the litigants and the uh, folks who are amplifying their message as an apparent, uh, at least a group with a halo, you know, USRTK? Yeah, it's a fascinating story and really a sad story. Um, uh, not only how far um, a, a once legitimate journalist has fallen, but the fact that she, um, she actually, you know, has swallowed the Kool-Aid. She really believes 
um, that she is on the side of the angels. Uh, she was a longtime reporter, I think 17 years, if I'm not mistaken, worked her way up, covered the ag industry, developed a reputation for framing articles in such a way that like when, 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 when something represents 10 or 15% of, of, of the view on a certain subject and, and 85% is the other side, but you present the 15% as, as if it's a 50-50 um, split in, in, in public opinion or scientific opinion on something, then you're really being deceptive. But you can write it in such a way that has a pseudo-objective uh, flair to it. And she mastered that in her time at Reuters and ultimately was fired. Um, she, uh, whether they walked into her office and said, you're fired, or they said to her, um, you know, you, this is what you have to do to adhere to Reuters' objective standards. I don't know the that exact thing. I do know, and in fact, her own tweets um, and, and internal documents that have been recovered by Freedom of Information Act um, uh, requests by some antagonists of her have shown that she she was under fire from Reuters and ultimately she was pushed out. And she what did she do? Um, this white as snow reporter took a job with USRTK as its quote research director, which is very Orwellian. Um, and what happened within a year, she was meeting with um, Baum Hedlund uh, and, and uh, agreed to coordinate their research and activities, including their um, collection of evidence, whether it was through um, compelled, um, uh, you know, court testimony uh, in, uh, of Monsanto and other corporations by Baum Hedlund or whether it was Freedom of Information um, uh, sweeps against Kev the Kevin Foltz's of the world and, uh, you know, a failed one against me. Um, so that's, that, that was the affiliation that has gone on for years. Uh, when the trials were going on, um, involving Baum Hedlund, uh, litigants, she was there taking notes for, for Baum Hedlund. She, her notes went to, directly to Baum Hedlund. I have people within the organization that told me that, and I presented this information to her. She had an opportunity to deny it. All she did is say, you're a troll. You're a, uh, you know, you're a corporate, um, uh, whatever, a uh, member of a corporate front. Not one time did, has she responded to anything, unlike the GLP, which went through every single point that's been leveled, um, every single criticism that's been leveled about us, and we responded to it with facts and documents. All they say is, nope, not true, we're not going to respond, and, um, and they get away with it. That's how front groups work. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting how, how this works, because she has written books which – and been very present in the public eye saying I'm an independent journalist and here's all the horrible stuff that's happened. She's even been on different news stories and or different news uh, outlets uh, claiming to be an independent journalist while she's actually working for this rather nefarious organization that is funded by special interests and working in concert with a Scientology associated law firm. <laughs> so it's, it's really interesting her position in the whole thing. Yeah, it is, it is bizarre. And it's disappointing, as you say, that when she writes for um, legitimate news organizations, it's usually two places is, is, is where she writes. One, the Huffington Post, whose standards are, you know, pretty much at the bottom of the, on the journalism ethics scale. Um, or she writes for the Guardian of England, um, uh, uh, which is, I mean, I've written for the Guardian of England. At its best, the Guardian is an amazing newspaper with a tremendous number of resources, it's hard left. But, you know, I've written for plenty of leftist organizations and, and news places. So at its best, it's a good, a good place. But it's not like she is um, 
having to reveal her true background on there. They, they give her a, um, a gloss to make it seems like that she's an, somehow an independent journalist when she's a, imagine Monsanto contacting um, uh, the Guardian and saying, we want to write an article on why the glyphosate um, information is, uh, is, is being misportrayed in the press. Guardian would shut, you know, close the door on them in a second. They'd laugh and, and joke about it behind the scenes. We're not going to let a corporate front do it. And yet, what do they do? They let a corporate front write for them. It's really mind-boggling. Well, not just write, but write information that's rather dubious. And it's a lot on, like, on the heels of the Aaron Brockovich article back in, uh, I think it was 2017. Uh, she was writing articles for The Guardian that were flat out wrong saying that glyphosate was used on carrots and barley, which wouldn't work so hot. It would kill it. Um, but she was uh, didn't disclose that she was the environmental consultant for Whites and Luxembourg, who yeah. were one of the major uh, litigants in the European theater. So here you have these folks who are journalists who are really acting as uh, folks to accumulate the litigation class working tightly with law firms, yet with the patina of legitimate journalism, exploiting legitimate journalistic outlets. Yeah, it's very sad. There's actually tweets that she made that have been um, recovered by others where she brags about going out to dinner with the Baumhedlin um, uh, uh, lawyers and also with the people from um, IARC um, who, who are the, the, the head person in IARC um, in, in terms of writing their glyphosate analysis, turns out is a consultant for um, for the litigants. Work with Baum Hedlin hand and glove. So here you have IARC, which wrote this scathing um, uh, critique of of glyphosate that has been widely panned by every single independent um, organization from um, the EPA uh, in the United States to. Um, the, the European Food Safety Authority to health authorities, Health Canada, New Zealand, um, Australia, Japan, every single one of them, three other um, UN agencies, including the UN itself. Uh, and, and yet uh, this guy who, who, who was head of IARC's glyphosate investigation team, um, even before it was published, before it was published on the IARC site, he had signed on as a consultant with, um, with, a, with a plaintiff's. On this case, it's it's absolutely disgraceful that that went on. I mean, IARC should have been put out of business right away as a result of that ethical transgression. Instead, it's um, it continues to to have uh, some credibility, which is to me is flabbergasting. Well, one of the parts I really appreciated about your article, and it's a concept that I really hope gets some traction, is this idea of a disinformation loop or disinformation feedback loop. What is that? And can you give me an idea of, of how it works? It really is fascinating. It's, it shows the incestuousness of a certain kind of reporting um, where, for instance, um, you know, a lot of the negative stuff on the GLP originated with um, posts by USRTK. Um, and then who did USRTK cite in their posts? Well, they cited SourceWatch. But the problem there is that the person who wrote the SourceWatch critique of the GLP was a writer for USRTK. So in essence, they started quoting themselves. Uh, and then um, Congress, the, the, the Democratic minority in Congress, uh, right after the IARC, um, um, uh, the, the IARC uh, analysis of um, glyphosate had gained some traction, 
uh, held some hearings this is before the Democrats took over majority in 2018. Um, and they basically held a let's bash glyphosate um, conference. And they put out a, um, a minority report because the Republicans were in control. And I'm no fan of Republicans handling of science. Let's put that out there. Um, but they put out a minority report and they cited the GLP and they talked about it being a corporate front group. Was it um, uh, was there an author to this? No author is cited. Was there a footnote to this? No footnote was cited. Well, let's look at the language. When you look at the language, the language is from USRTK. And I've since found out that USRTK was a consultant to the Democratic Committee. So there's another end of the feedback loop. And then Le Mans comes out with an article. Le Mans is an internationally known newspaper, not that well respected because it's really gone off the left cliff a little bit. But Le Mans then repeats the GLP as a corporate front. It, the language it uses is from the USRTK site, and there's no citation at all. So the loop keeps being reinforced. And then ultimately, um, it's picked up by other um, uh, by by other um, uh, newspapers and magazines who start saying, "Oh, the GLP is a corporate front." Well, how do you know? Well, because it's on Le Mans, and lo and behold, you go to the USRTK site; they no longer cite their own um, comments about this. They now cite Le Mans, and yet they were the, the source of the Le Mans criticism. So there, the loop is completed, and 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 there's no way to get around it. Suddenly. Le Mans and the U.S. Congressional Committee, who use USRTK information that was created out of, out of really whole cloth, um, have now created a feedback loop where it seems like there's a definitive consensus, even among high-profile news organizations, that the GLP somehow is not what it purports to be. No, that's perfect. And I've seen this with others too. And, you know, there's one guy out there, I don't even want to say his name, but he's a guy who has been writing for... Uh, you know, he's put articles on things like Huffington Post, like you said. Um, he had one in Grist recently. And um, and his whole idea is to make these very vague, spurious connections that will say bad stuff about me or GLP or whatever. But then he will then cite Grist in his future writing, not say this is an article I wrote on Grist. He'll cite Grist or he'll cite you know, uh, Huffington Post or, uh, or um, uh, the Progressive, you know, places that have allowed him to litter and use their venues for his slander against different scientists and scientific organizations. And as I wrote to the editors at Grist, I told them, uh, essentially, he does the execution. He leaves a shotgun in your closet and then uses social media to say, hey, look who Grist just killed. Yep, exactly. And, and, and really, that's what that that. Uh, feedback loop really is. It, it's really interesting. Yeah, I, and um, I, unfortunately, the, so much news is really just um, information now. Um, you know, we're not talking about you know a handful of, of of news organizations that have vetted their reporters and take have standards of excellence and, and uh, uh, objectivity, which is a loaded word, I'll admit, because no, no one is really objective. But at least they're just transparent about their about what influences their thinking. But now we have this, this mishmash of uh, literally a tsunami of, of available information. And you go in and you put GLP um, in and what comes up number one uh, in, in a Google search is SourceWatch. And ra rather than um, something like Media Bias Fact Check, which comes out like eighth or something like that, how does SourceWatch get to the top? I actually found out that, GL that um, USRTK had hijacked um, what's what's called the information panel on the on the right of my uh, of the of the search when you put in GLP uh, for for 
I didn't, I, I, someone pointed out, it says source USRTK. So they had hijacked it. I had to go to Google and get them to remove it and, and cut them off from manipulating information about me. And, and it's so-called neutral um, Google search. It's really um, quite disturbing when you recognize that if your goals are information manipulation, you can get headway um, in, in, in Google and Facebook and in other social media outlets. I guess the big question for me, you know, just as we kind of go towards the, to the, the finish line here, is do you think that organizations like USRTK and Gillum and all these other folks, do you think that they're losing influence? Um, they're losing influence, but they've won the war. Um, so, yes, I think that they are losing influence. Um, they, have, they, they will take down um, or they are, have, have taken down one of the most beneficial chemicals in the history of, of agriculture, glyphosate. And I know that may shock people who, who, who are not really well informed about what glyphosate is, how toxic it is, and, and what it does relative to its potential trade-off side effects. But it's really, without overstating it or sounding like I'm being hyperbolic, it's, it's close to being a miracle, um, a miracle uh, chemical herbicide, um, really irreplaceable, and it's going to really damage um, global agriculture um, when when it is forced to be close to being banned and it's being banned for political reasons because um, politicians uh, are, are too scared to stand up to um, organizations like USRTK uh, who alone may be perceived as a quack but they are um, they are welcomed into the, um, the unfortunately the left political tent um, who, who doesn't really care sometimes on the fringes of what some of the, what the, as, as, you know, as long as you take a traditional um, uh, stance against Trumpism, which the GLP is um, exposing that almost every day in one form or another, um, you know, you're, you're allowed to have a, a, a place in the pantheon of, um, of consultants and um, information um, uh, providers to politicians. It's just a, a sad situation right now. Yeah, it is. It is. And at the same time, you know, we're here trying to tell the truth and trying to go forward. And that's why I really wanted to talk to you today about this and really kind of give the listenership of this podcast a better idea of why you do what you do. You know, I, I, I get the feeling that, you know, you're, you're not making millions of dollars on the genetic literacy project, um, that you're doing this out of a labor of love and really a commitment to telling the truth about science and, you know, and, and is that really, you know, what, what's driving you to keep going even in light of all the hassle? Well, I guess that sounds kind of quaint and somewhat unbelievable, but you know, I, I, um, I remember when I, was, I was a student at Trinity college uh, back in 1970 and I, my, my roommate, we shared a room together was the ultimate capitalist, a guy named Peter Krauss who like wanted to, um, he wanted to, you know, he, he wanted to make a, become a millionaire. And uh, he, by the middle of his freshman year, he was running the student uh, commissary. Uh, he really had a, 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 you know, an ability in that area. And lo and behold, he gets out, he becomes a Goldman Sachs person. He uh, becomes Warren Buffett's handler. Um, then he becomes president of a number of companies, ultimately CEO of Alliance Bernstein. It's worth about $700 million right now. Frankly, he's, he's giving all this money to the, to the, to the social causes that I decided at the very same time when I was talking to him that I was committing myself to. So here we were, this, this, um, uh, you know, two, two, two opposite kinds of people. I, I wanted to commit myself to social justice issues. 
dropped out of college to work for George McGovern, uh, ran a campaign for a uh, probably the most left congressman um, uh, in Congress in 1974, Father Robert Drinan, who had Kennedy's old seat, who was forced to resign um, from Congress by the right-wing pope of that era, and ultimately, because he was a lawyer, became president of BC Law School, a fine, fine, independent-minded man, very idealistic. You know, that's what I wanted to do. So meanwhile, I'm... Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, you know, bumbling along, trying to trying to help the world because that's been my ethics since I was a, you know, a hippie from the '60s. And my friend, the capitalist, is that probably doing a lot more for progressive causes than I ever hoped to do? <laughs> well, what's next for the GLP? Well, I, I would like to expand our portfolio um, a little bit to to get into broader issues of, of media manipulation. Um, on things uh, that are not just biotech, though. Fascinatingly, since we found the GLP, biotech has, has infused itself into so many aspects of, of, of science and life, um, like the vaccines, of course. Every one of those vaccines were biotech-based in one form or another. Um, and and I, I think about 60% of all medical innovation right now is linked to um, gene manipulation of one kind or another. So my portfolio, our portfolio has expanded even without um, going beyond the bounds of genetics and biotechnology, but that's really what I'm committed to doing. Uh, the problem is, is that we're underfunded. We, you look at our funding versus um, um, USRTK, and and they're 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 rolling in dollars, and 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 they're turning out very little information other than repeating their their god awful attack pieces that are five six years old, and 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 we're um, you know we find it hard because we you know the right wing takes a sniff at us and they say oh my god. Look at all this anti-Trump stuff, and the left wing takes a sniff at us and say, "Oh my God!" They go after they 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 believe the glyphosate isn't the worst evil in the world. So you know we seem to have a penchant for making um, enemies among donors. <laughs> so it's hard. <laughs> no, it's you know welcome to my world. You know it's it's easy to always get, and that's the problem is that people get so ticked off and polarized around single issues that if you aren't playing by all of the rules of their tribe, then out to the cornfield you go. And so it really puts you in kind of a funny place. But if people who are really interested in uh, reasonable, accurate um, scientific dissemination wanted to make a donation, where could they do that? Well, there's de definitely links on the page. Um, we have a, um, uh, a section called About the GLP, and it's a drop-down menu. And we actually have the, this article for people to read there. And it's, uh, it, it's in our transparency section, is the Genetic Literacy Project a corporate front? GO, GLP responds to ongoing false allegations from U.S. Right to Know, Organic Consumers Association, SourceWatch, Baum Headland, Church of Scientology. But we also have a, a, a little area there called Donate, and people can go to that. They can donate um, via PayPal, through their credit card, send us a check. And believe me, we, um, I, I thank everybody who, who, who donates to us, even the, even the smaller donors. Uh, we we will use your money wisely and transparently. No, very good. And even Joe Mercola doesn't like you either. Oh yeah, <laughs> the, the, the the creepy um, the creepy naturalist crowd. Joe Mercola and Mike Adams at Natural News. Um, I am definitely um, in, in, in their um, in their crosshairs. Uh, Natural News um, voted me as one of the ten most evil people in the world. Uh, along with Neil deGrasse Tyson, Bill Carter, um, uh, who and else? And me. 
And you, and you, you were on that list. Okay. Yeah, I, I was one of the the most uh, evil people in the world. I think it was 2014 or 2017. I don't remember. I, I have to go check the trophy on my mantle. Yeah, I think, I think you and I definitely made the cut. And like basically, there were eight really famous people, and then and then us. Right? That was very right. fun. Yeah, that's not bad, you know, running with a good crowd and doing the Lord's work, right? Well, right. thank you, John. Where, where can people follow you and the Genetic Literacy Project on Twitter? Uh, well, uh, Genetic Literacy is our Twitter handle. Um, John Entine, spelled J-O-N-E-N-T-I-N-E, -E, is my Twitter handle. Um, but really, uh, go to the website, sign up for our um, our uh, our newsletters. We have a weekly newsletter. We have a Sunday Top 6 Stories and we have a daily newsletter that uh, provides people with a daily digest of condensed um, uh, snippets of what's going on in the, in the intersection of biotechnology, politics, and policy. Uh, and then we have longer articles, at least one long feature article a day, like, for instance, the expose of the, um, of, of the anti-science feedback loop that is uh, trying to destroy support for um, biotechnology-based solutions to world, world problems. Awesome. So anybody listening who encounters these kinds of allegations online or sees these things written, refer people to this podcast or to that article on the Genetic Literacy Project because it really is illuminating to learn that the people who are screaming front group are really the front groups. So thanks a lot for joining me, John. Thank you, Kevin. Touched all the bases and... Um, grateful that you gave me an opportunity to discuss these really important issues. No, super good. Thank you for everything you do. And thank you listeners once again for listening to the Talking Biotech podcast now in its seventh official year. Uh, every week there's more people downloading and every month gets more downloads too. That's how it works, I guess. <laughs> New math reveals. Uh, thank you very much for your loyalty to the podcast. Remember that we stand on the shoulders of science giants and it's only getting better with time. And as we talk about biotechnology in the future, the best of times are still ahead of us. And we'll be with you to remind you about that every step of the way. Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech podcast. And we'll talk to you again next week. The Talking Biotech podcast reflects the personal views of Dr. Kevin Fulta and its guests. These are not the views of the University of Florida, its faculty, staff, or students. But after all, it is science, so they probably are. But it has to be clear that there is no university affiliation with this podcast. Which is a damn shame, but I guess that's how it goes. So feel free to share this science communication effort. Recommend guests. And support us if it's a few shekels over on Patreon. We invest all funds back into promotion of the podcast to widen the audience enhance production, and expand science communication efforts in many ways. Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast. You've been listening to Talking Biotech, sponsored by Calabra, the platform that bridges the gap between siloed research tools. With Calabra's electronic lab notebook, 
scientists can work together in real time, sharing data and insights with ease. Revolutionize your research collaboration. Sign up for a demo today at collabra.app. C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-P-P.